This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. See it on the news. See it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. And I remember looking back and him staring and a strange interaction, but I just kept going. You know, you, you think, oh, what a weirdo, you know, strange glance back at him and, uh, and he definitely, you know, we, uh, he was a strange looking character. Hey guys, welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. Did you like that intro? <laughs> that was wonderful. It sounded a little bit like the Jetsons, so I'm good with that, yeah. Oh, I didn't even mean to. Yeah, well, you know what? That's something that I had to live with. That was a cross I had to bear as a kid. That having was not a, having, a cross ha- I had to bear. Having a name that sounded like the Jetsons, but you know what? Mid-century modern space age architecture, I'm all about it. I like a futuristic mid-century modern yeah. vibe. Yeah. That's all, really I'm, for I'm, me. I'm all about it. So, By the way, just in case you guys have been living under a rock, we hit 10,000 on Instagram, which means we opened our merch store and I have to say our merch fucking rocks. You did kill it. I think I killed it. You know what? Jack is the queen of merch. I don't know if you know anything about Jack, <laughs> but Jack started merch at what, 16 on like, the Warp Tour? It was like 19. All right. Yeah. But the merch is so good. I love the uh, uh, the comic thing with, with that says the first degree on yeah. it. I love the- I love this, the Stranger Thing font. The Stranger Thing font. You're welcome. The- the uh, Alexis uh, Linkletter must be stopped. Alexis Linkletter must I wonder be stopped. If sure, which, will which buy I'm, that. I'm gonna buy. Has that no one. one bought it? No, really. Oh, no. You know what? Our best sellers. If ever anybody wants to go on and like, if they're wondering what's selling good, the Smokey the Bear T-shirt yes. is killing really? it. Really? Also, talk murder to me. The one that you're like, you should move that off the front page. It's no, the, I didn't say you the should... pink talk murder to me sweatshirt. It's like super cutesy. Um, number one, right? Number one seller. And, and the anxiety mug the I saw was doing mug. pretty well. Yeah. So you guys go get your first degree merch. It's pretty fucking cool. By the way, only you can prevent serial killers with Smokey the Bear was my idea. The bear was not the quote. Yes, it was. The quote was my idea. The quote was literally Billy. It was yeah, Navarro's you. idea. <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, Billy is just a poor man's Dave Navarro. It's so sad. <laughs> but much taller. He's like a stretched out version of Dave Navarro. <laughs> Dave Navarro Gumby. 
the verb gumby. Okay. Anywho. Anyways, I'll what day is it, Billy? There's a lot to choose from today. There are so to, July third might be my favorite holiday. The dayest yeah. day there ever it's the was. The dayest day ever. What's your fave? It's American Redneck Day. <gasps> it is. Ooh. It's Happy Disobedience Day. That's my favorite. It's Happy National Compliment Your Mirror Day. Which what? Where, who the fuck made that up? Maybe it's look at yourself and compliment yourself. I think that's it's what compliment it is. your yeah. mirror. But this is the one that speaks to me. It's National Stay Out of the Sun Day. And that's what I have done my entire life. <laughs> that's all. It made me think of Jared, too. Really? Because he burns. I quite stay fast. out of the sun when, you know, I grew up on Long Island when anybody was, hey, we're going to the beach. I'd be like, no, I'm going to stay in my room, watch Bob Ross and. Bob Ross? Yeah. What beach did you go to on Long Island? I went to Jones Beach. I went to yeah. Robert Moses. Yeah, of course you did because you're a rich kid. So. That's rude. <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> Um, are we going to talk about uh, Harry Potter for a second? We, we do need to talk about Harry Potter. I was having happy hour with my mom yesterday and we we're just talking about Harry Potter or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I think Jared's a Hufflepuff. And, but I just I just assumed he is because he exudes Hufflepuff like energy. <laughs> the mm-hmm. word sounds like him. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, so nice. Like a Jigglypuff, like a Pokemon. Yeah. So <laughs> I texted him and I'm like, what, what Harry Potter house are you hogwarts house and so he took the buzzfeed test which is like a bullshitty whatever test and he's like fuck it's it's hufflepuff he's like fuck this i'm doing the real ho- the pottermore one the where you pottermore to, like, one and sign and, your fucking soul away yes and the pottermore one is jk rowling's site it's it's official she is she created yes. it herself so anyways he took it again and got hufflepuff <laughs> he's pissed about it but then now he's like sending me all these articles or no you sent the article about why hufflepuffs are amazing to love yes harry potter there is a article when when you become a hufflepuff they're just like oh no wait a minute we want to make you feel good about being yeah, a hufflepuff yeah, yeah. So there's an article called Why You Should Fall in Love with a Hufflepuff. <laughs> you should, though. Hufflepuffs and, are probably the best people to fall in love with. Yes, because they won't. <laughs> one of the things is. They Huff, won't leave you. <laughs> Hufflepuffs won't turn to, into a dark wizard after a bad breakup. And I think that's probably the best one. So I said, all right, well, what are the. I know I'm a Ravenclaw. I've taken the test before. Ravenclaw is kind of the the witty slash smart slash weird kids because luna lovegood is my absolute favorite character on harry potter what else uh what's jack what's lexus and i thought jack was probably gryffindor and i thought alexis was slytherin Slytherin. yeah if i see harry potter and take the test maybe (laughs) i will be alexis's problem is like okay on the buzzfeed quiz the questions are more general they're like what's your like what do you like to do for fun? But the Pottermore quiz is like, you what's your Patronus? <laughs> and, Alexis and I'm just like, mm, this sounds like a good word. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's just like, what's your... What, what it's like, we, which what? of these animals would you choose as a pet? I'm like, and there's like 15... Shriek Owl, <laughs> Dragon Toad. I'm like, mm, Dragon Toad. But I have no idea what they are. Right. Well, yeah. So I'll by, by next week, I'll watch Harry Potter this weekend. Well, there's a lot. I don't think, yeah. All right. Well, you. So so here's what happened. Jack took the test. She's a Gryffindor. I knew I was. We, we knew she'd be a Gryffindor. Yeah. Alexis took the test. She's also a Gryffindor. But she also was the answer. I was like, a, bunch a of white owl sounds pretty. And I chose that. 
All right, so I'll watch them and then I'll do it again. We'll update next week on yes. what house Alexis is in. And honestly, everybody, go back and take the test. It's fun. It's fun. Love I love her. her. J.K. Rowling for life. Love her. Love you. Okay, well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. The state troopers were sure he wanted to get caught. First, he made sure there were no license plates on his 1984 Mazda pickup truck. Then he tried to lose them in what can only be described as a slow speed chase, never exceeding 50 miles per hour on the Southern State Parkway during the 20 minute pursuit. It was around 3.30 a.m. and the driver ignored all their attempts to pull him over. He exited the parkway and continued on Wontaw Ave North and then onto Old Country Road West. The male driver finally obliged by crashing into a utility pole in Mineola, Long Island. The troopers pulled the 34-year-old landscaper out of the truck and handcuffed him. One trooper noticed a terrible odor and flashed their light onto the blue tarp in the bed of the Mazda pickup. The other trooper rolled it back and made a horrifying discovery. I killed her, he said. The gray-eyed confessed killer would later confess to 16 more victims. He picked them all up on his drives through the region. He said he had sex with them first and then killed them. By the end of that day in 1993, the troopers began to suspect that they had accidentally stumbled upon one of the biggest serial killers active in the history of New York, Joel David Rifkin. Police started locating Rifkin's victims one by one, steadily, one shovel dig at a time. They unearthed the terrible story of Rifkin's passion. How? Why? The only way to answer these questions, like we always say, is to start at the beginning. All right, you guys. So today's first degree, his name is Paul Ragazzino. His daughter, Allie, is a listener. Uh, We are not going to hear from him until a little bit later in the episode, but hang tight. It is just because this case in particular is so robust. Most people didn't know they were connected to Joel Rifkin until he was arrested. All right. So Joel Rifkin's birth mother was a 20-year-old college student, and his biological father was a 24-year-old college student and Army veteran. And at only three weeks old, he was adopted by an upper-middle-class Long Island couple, the Rifkins. The adoption was completed on February 14th, Valentine's Day of 1959. They were overjoyed at the successful adoption and named their new son, Joel David Rifkin. And then three years later in 1962, the Rifkins also adopted a baby girl and named her Jane, and they raised Joel and Jane and loved them like they were their own. So the Rifkins moved to East Meadow when Joel was only three years old, and When we started this podcast, Jack had a first degree. Mm -hmm. Alexis had a first degree. And they kept asking me, do you have a first degree? And I didn't. This is probably the closest to a first degree that I've had. And there's a lot of things that pop up because he literally lived and worked just a mile away from me. And this is when you were also living there. Yes. 
So we're going to take you back to, so he, he goes to East Middle High School. So now I have a story about East Middle High School. In 1962, um, a kid was throwing spitballs in the cafeteria. And he got in trouble for it. And they told him to move to another um, table with the older girls. And he's got to sit with the older girls for the rest of the year. And he keeps on asking this girl, are you going to finish that? Are you going to finish that every day? Like, are you going to finish that, that meal? He ends up marrying that girl. And that was my dad. And that was my mom. So... This was what was going on in East Middle High School. It was this wholesome post-war suburbs that you hear about. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a really cute story. That is a really cute story. And I basically grew up in East Meadow. So Joel moved around through his childhood years. And we're going to tell you these stories, not to make anyone feel bad for him. Now, there's no excuse for what he did, obviously. But, you know... This 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 is the story. This is actually what happened. Well, and you want to know how an animal became an animal. Right. And That's I, why we give the background. It's like, what little threads did this guy follow to mm-hmm. become the monster he became? And it's just a little insight. And I have to say, so I was doing a lot of research, listening to other podcasts, watching other documentaries about Joel Rifkin. And... Like we're saying, this is not an excuse. This is this doesn't justify anything that he has done. But it is interesting listening to other podcasts because we're going to talk about bullying, right? And a lot of these other people that are talking about a story are kind of blaming his behavior on bullying. And there are so many people in the history of this of humanity. Everybody has gotten bullied. Some people terribly bullied and they have not turned into serial killers. So it's not like a cause and effect kind of thing, but it's funny because other people have explained it kind of in that way. Absolutely. So going back, Joel Rifkin, he was excluded from team sports when he was younger and neighborhood games. And he ended up being the butt of every prank and sadistic joke. Bullies assaulted him in school, they pulled his pants down, they stole his lunch and his books, and they harassed him constantly. And as far as high school was was concerned for Joel, he couldn't get a prom date and he was nicknamed Turtle by his high school mates. And this nickname came from his slouching posture and slow gait. His parents were oblivious to his torment by his peers. His mother later said, quote, I thought of him, I thought of him as a loner. And it fully didn't come home to me what was happening until later. He was an academic failure, suffering from undiagnosed dyslexia, despite having tested an IQ of 128. And he became what was essentially a mediocre student in a family full of intellectuals and an agricultural college dropout with an adoptive dad who was a vice president of the school board. Yeah, and I remember actually going to the East Middle Public Library, which is a better library than the Westbury Public Library. And I remember taking out a bunch of books about Son of Sam. Mm -hmm. And I was reading these books. This is me at, you know, however old, reading these books about Son of Sam in the East Middle Public Library. And I actually looked up at the sign above me. And the sign said the Ben Rifkin reading room, which was his dad. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So So, after he passed, they named the library after him. Yes. Because he was so beloved. Yeah, exactly. So this was a guy that was all about education, and his son wasn't so much about education. Interesting. So he did end up sharing two hobbies with his mom, which were gardening and photography, 
and the two were often seen gardening gardening together. And I did read that throughout his kind of upbringing and his youth, he was very interested in making the um, front of his house like the best on the block with the best plants and the best flowers and like very concerned about appearance. I read that too, where it's like they lived on like a quarter acre corner lot and he just he was constantly like tending yeah exactly it's it's really interesting so joel's poor grades and his bad skills with sports embarrass his father like billy said i mean this guy was an intellectual and their relationship was slightly strained as a result and like most fathers his dad was hoping to be able to teach his son about sports he tried teaching me about football rifkin later said which was a sport in high school and Rifkin said, I couldn't catch the thing. And after a year or two, he got extremely frustrated. That was that. No more football. Things went from bad to worse at East Meadow High School. Because besides actually having the good grades, Joel was a stereotypical nerd. Glasses, high water pants, white socks. I don't think nerd is a thing anymore. But that's now a hipster. Now I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, sounds hot. <laughs> To me, and I, you know, I just think nerds, the smart people, I mean, I guess he was I mean, smart. He, he was probably like a quote unquote nerd. He like was an outcast. Greece. He was a mis- like, yeah. yeah, he was an like outcast. Eugene in Greece. Exactly. Yeah. So one oh, of the bullies, loved him. one of the bullies who, who harassed him later called him an abuse unit. He was subtly obnoxious, like a presence that just annoyed you. So Joel eventually joined track and in an effort to fit in, he was rewarded the nickname Lardass. Teammates hid his clothes and they shoved his head into the toilet. But instead of fighting back, Joel invited them to watch TV and drink beer at his house, thinking that he's like extending some sort of an olive branch. The guys would come over and, wa- and watch TV and drink his beer, but it didn't help making him any actual friends. One of the Quote unquote friends said, we used him to be blunt about it. He was just really easy to make fun of. So Joel was an an obvious failure in athletics and he eventually joined the yearbook staff and he, after joining, promptly had his camera stolen. But undeterred, he slaved to put the senior yearbook out, but he was excluded from the year end rap party. His mom said that he was, quote, absolutely devastated. And in his teens, he developed a passion for cars and trucks. He started tinkering with carburetors, which is somewhat of a normal activity. And he also fell into the AV crowd where he would help with microphone equipment and run projectors during assemblies. So he's just trying things out. Just trying it out. Just trying to fit trying in. Trying to figure High out where he fits in. tough. High school fucking sucks. And like hearing about bullying, bullying, it all looks different. I mean, I was popular in high school, but bullied mercilessly. Where literally, I was a virgin. In girls spray painted slut on my car. Oh, same. I mean, not with same, spray exactly, paint. But. And then I had to drive home and explain this to my parents. And it's like, then they're worried about it. It's bullying. It all looks different, but it's terrible. Well, it's, it's fucking vicious. Brutal. And We're, it's brutal. And sadly, it does happen to most people. It's so terrible. It's so terrible. Didn't hurt anyone, though, as a result. That's what I'm saying. So, the same year Joel joined track, he immediately began exploring his curiosity about sex workers. And he started trolling for women in nearby Hempstead, Long Island. 
According to Robert Mladenich, who wrote the book on Rifkin, Joel's fantasies included some bondage, some rape, plus a gladiator-type thing with two girls that would fight to the death. In some daydreams, he raped and stabbed women, but his fantasy victims were silent. Just very passive about it. And apparently after he watches Alfred Hitchcock's movie Frenzy, which was loosely based on the Jack the Ripper homicides in London, and his fantasies and fetishes started to become based around strangling sex workers. Real-life romance was not in the cards for Rifkin for the most part. So he did get at least one high school date. And uh, the interest was actually killed after she witnessed fellow track team members trapping him at a gym and throwing eggs at him, which made Joel actually call his father for help. And then another time, he goes out with a girl to a pizza parlor and the same bullies chase him out of the pizza parlor and then he has to run to safety, they both do, to a public library. There were, however, some people who didn't notice the social ineptitude of Joel. A former classmate named Alan Whitlock, who graduated with him from East Meadow High School in 1977, described his friend as, quote, very intelligent. He said that Joel was very quiet, enjoyed listening to Zeppelin and the Eagles. And a neighbor named Joy Ryder said that Joel was the kind of guy who was a gentle person, one who would help her bring her packages into the house. Joel graduated near the bottom of his class in 1977. He looked forward to college and adulthood. Life could only get better, right? But the worst for Joel Rifkin was yet to come. So Rifkin's first attempt at a college education took him to Nassau Community College, but he ended up getting pretty bored and restless there. He didn't take any of it seriously, and he cut classes habitually. Somehow, he transferred to the State University at Brockport, a Rochester suburb, in the fall of 1978. But before leaving for his first semester, he thought that he would maybe fit in better if he lost his virginity, so he headed into Manhattan and picked up a sex worker for $20. She was in her 30s and quote-unquote played teacher with him, and he finally felt like he was in power for the first time in his life. While in college, he seemed to enjoy the photography club, but succumbed overall to his usual lackluster academic performance. And all the while, in the background, Rifkin had dark fantasies brewing. So the only real girlfriend of his life was in Brockport. But the relationship went nowhere, and she later said that Joel was, quote, sweet, but always depressed. So he comes back from Brockport, he moves it back in with his parents, and he starts working a string of odd jobs around Long Island, and they're all pretty short-term. Former employers describe him as having poor hygiene, chronic tardiness, and just he just doesn't care about the work. He's not a dream employer. He worked at a local music store, which is called Record World, which is actually my local Record World, which is where I would go to get records. And his boss there described him as, and his boss actually called into a local radio station afterwards. He described him as a total piece of work. This guy couldn't even count to 10. 
And it's even been said, though not confirmed, that he worked at the store at the same time as a very famous producer of probably the greatest radio show of all time. But we'll get to that and all the other pop culture aspects of this case later on. Then he actually goes to work after the record store at Coronet Toy Store in Westbury. Now, as a kid, this was actually my main toy store. This was the toy store that my mother took me to because it was only, it was right down the street. This was my toy store, and I probably dealt with this guy. And, you know, Joel, he dreamed of becoming a famous writer. And he wrote some pretty bleak poetry, and I searched for some of it, but I couldn't find it. And, but all the while through all of this, he maintained an interest in two things, which is photography and horticulture, but both of them, he he couldn't make them pay. As his childhood friends left the suburban block for college, professions, and families of their own, he was a self-employed landscaper who strived to keep his family's garden among the proudest and prettiest in the neighborhood, as Jack said earlier. So he seems like he's really on the path to darkness, but the next moment really pushes him up a few steps. So 1986, Rifkin's father, who was a heavy smoker, and he already had emphysema, he falls chronically ill. So his dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer in the fall of 86. And he became incredibly weak from the pain by February 87. So he wrote a suicide note. He took a massive dose dose of barbiturates. And he dropped into a coma. And he was in the coma for four days. And then he died. So later that year in 87, Joel Rifkin was arrested for the first time in his life for soliciting sex from an undercover policewoman. But he escaped with a nominal fine. But instead of the incident keeping him away from soliciting further interactions, rather patronizing is what he used to call it, instead that incident kind of drew him to the world even closer. And that close call really seemed to intensify Joel's budding deviance. And his fantasies about murdering women began to fester. Joel's final attempt at a college degree included a 1988 enrollment in a two-year horticulture program at the State College of Technology in Farmingdale, New York. And for the very first time in his life, he made straight A's for two consecutive semesters. He was offered an internship at the prestigious Planting Fields Arboretum in Oyster Bay, New York. The appointment was an honor, an unexpected bonus for him, and certainly the most accolades that he'd ever received in his life. And there, Joel found himself very attracted to one of the other interns, a pretty blonde girl. But while he shadowed her at every opportunity, he never found the nerve to ask her out. Instead, he concocted something in his head, an elaborate fantasy affair, and he was beyond frustrated when she failed to reciprocate his secret passion. And after years of failure, a lack of ambition, a lack of self-care or pride, Joel was finally ready to succumb to the vileness of the person that he truly was. So after years of pent-up anger and self-induced failure and humiliation, he craved a release that would allow him to feel like he had power over something, over anything. And it was at this point that Rifkin reached his demarcation point. So sex workers who had encountered Rifkin in the past described him as having nails that were earth black. His pickup truck was filthy. His words, 
were seldom and his sexual abilities were quite uh, limited. One woman he'd gone on a date with named Karen said, he seemed to me like he was a mama's boy. Karen and Rifkin had gone out four times. Another sex worker named Renee started crying when she saw a picture of Rifkin's face on the TV. Renee had last seen Rifkin three months ago. A $40 trick turned into an abandoned parking spot between 57th and 58th Street. Rifkin wanted a half and half, market slang for a mixture of vaginal and oral sex. His only other request was that she not speak. How much, he would ask. But then he'd never argue over the price. One sex worker named Michelle said that she had been approached for sex by Rifkin once, but she turned him down. She later said that he didn't seem like the type who would hurt anybody. Another woman who encountered him named Charlotte Webb survived two different encounters with him. The 27-year-old said that he picked her up in lower Manhattan in April of 1993, two months before he was caught, and paid her $40 for sex. She said, quote, some guys get rough but I never had an inkling with him. He was just a mellow, nerdy guy. We talked about photography. He said he could get me a discount on a camera. Joel told her his name was Jimmy and that he was going through a divorce and struggling to support two kids in college. And she said, quote, he seemed lonely like me. I told him, well, now you have a friend. It's so sad to not be able to see like the monster in front of you. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. Tiffany Bresciani was a 22-year-old woman from Louisiana, and she came to New York to make good. She wanted to be a singer or an actress. Now, Tiffany had a boyfriend named Dave Rubenstein, and Rubenstein was the singer and co-founder of the New York-based hardcore band Reagan Youth. Both of the lovers were addicted to drugs. And now punk bands typically don't pay the bills, and Tiffany supported their drug habit with sex work. Tiffany would work with a customer, Dave would wait outside, then they would meet back up and then go buy drugs. On June 24th, 1993, Dave and Tiffany were cruising Allen Street when a familiar customer pulled up. Tiffany got into a Toyota Camry and told Dave that she would be back in 20 minutes for a quick $20 payoff, but she never came back. When Joel Rifkin started having sex with Tiffany, in the backseat of his mother's Toyota, he put his hands around her neck and started strangling her. He then said that he stared at her for a long time. Tiffany was dead. And back in Louisiana, where she was from, her mother and her grandmother anxiously waited for a call from her. And earlier that day, they'd mailed a care package to her filled with summer dresses, pictures, and a teddy bear. Tiffany's grandmother had a nickname for her, which was Little Lamb. And Dave called the police with a description of the truck and went to the club where Tiffany danced and basically checked out all the hospital emergency rooms in the city searching for her. And it hit him hard. A week after he learned Tiffany was dead, Dave Rubenstein died by suicide. And this is something I was thinking about as we were doing the research. And people liken him to other killers who target sex workers. Mm -hmm. And basically they put them in this category and they use, they're like, he targeted prostitutes, prostitutes, prostitutes. And I just think it's a way of, it does not honor the suffering. It really just dumbs down what he, dumbs down isn't the word, but I hate that they categorize in that way. No, absolutely. And and because it's, it's technically correct because 
these women are definitely in a in a job as a sex worker that is perilous that they they would get into a car of a stranger which which leaves them um open to danger but just calling them a sex worker or calling them which is what they called them back then a prostitute is bullshit that doesn't define who Tiffany was. That doesn't define who any of these people were. She was a 22-year-old woman who was loved. And whenever they use that term, and remember, the and and we've run run into this, both both me and Alexis have run into this when we've worked on stories uh for television, and it turns out the the victim might be a sex worker, and the powers that be will say, "No, we don't want to do the story because it's a sex worker," and that's crap. It's disgusting. Yeah, I just, I, you know what? A lot of, a lot of jobs have high risk. For example, show I'm working on now, the the show down the table for me, all of them worked on Deadliest Catch, and like lots of people die on those boats, mm-hmm. and they're not shamed about it. No. Like you, jobs have high risk, but. For some reason, well, it's only... sexism, isn't it? Of course, that's where I was going. Where it's literally just women. Yeah, it's yeah. either you're a, if you have any risk at your job, you're an irresponsible mother. You don't care about your kids if you have any risk, or you are a sex worker and it's they dehumanize you. But men could be firefighters and not not come home to their kids, and no one gives a shit. Part part of the reason why he kept going after sex workers is he's like, wow, I'm getting away with it because. Nobody seems to care. Nobody misses them. And nobody misses them, which is fucking false because obviously all of these women had families and friends that missed them. It's not like they went missing and nobody batted an eye. Like they had families that were fighting to try to find them. So that is just either the media or society like twisting things and it's not fair. Or him justifying his behavior, grasping at straws to do so. Right. You know, um, but he's a narcissist. Anyone who can take a life and justify it is, it's for his pleasure is the bottom line. Absolutely. But yeah, back to what we were talking about. I mean, Tiffany was loved. Her family sending her care packages. She had a boyfriend. I mean, they were struggling with addiction. Doesn't make her less loved. Doesn't make her less human either. That's right. Here's Joel Rifkin in his own words talking a little bit about his encounter with Tiffany on that night. There were good nights with prostitutes and there were bad nights with prostitutes. Uh, there were times you get ripped off, there were times things go as planned. There's a lot of self-lying. It was almost an addiction seeing these women. Initially the self-lie was that if I do something horrible or uh, just corrupt this whole thing in, in a large way that I could stop going. She was the third or fourth girl I was with that night. In the back seat of the car, strangled her. After he stole Tiffany's life, he started his mom's Toyota and headed back towards his mom's home in East Meadow. He stopped in Levittown to buy a tarp and yards of heavy cord, and he later wrapped the body in a blue tarp and put her body in the trunk of his car. And... Joel had just arrived home when his mother demanded the car keys to go on a 30-minute shopping trip. Drove her home. Mom could have put groceries in the trunk that morning. None of it made sense by that time. So Tiffany's body was still in the trunk, but Joel didn't have any time to move it. His mother just drove around for a half an hour and never knew. 
And relieved by his little, quote, anxiety attack, Joel moved Tiffany's body into his cluttered garage. So he leaves Tiffany's body in this wheelbarrow in the garage for two days. And the summer heat's pounding down. And he starts to get worried about leaving him there, leaving her there. It's a, it's a bad idea. So June on Long Island, the body is going to decompose really rapidly. It's very humid. And he's also worried about the blood that he'd gotten on his mother's upholstery. But it wouldn't really matter in the long run because he'd get arrested and the truth would be revealed before she would ever notice any of those red stains in her car. Then, just after 2 a.m. on June 28th, he placed Tiffany's body in the back of his pickup truck, let the truck roll down the driveway so he wouldn't wake up his mother, and headed off towards Republic Airport in Farmingdale, where he planned to dispose of Tiffany's body. And at around 2 a.m. on Monday, June 28th, 1993, Rifkin swabbed his nose with noxema so that he could tolerate the pungent odor coming from the corpse in the back of his truck. That's when he was pulled over and arrested. One of the detectives one of the detectives asked him if there were other victims and he didn't answer. They asked more than 10, more than 20, and he said, "One or 100, it doesn't make any difference." But the detective questioning Joel kept pushing and said, "You want these people to have a proper burial, don't you?" And soon Rifkin started coming around to the idea. So at the beginning of the night of Joel Rifkin's arrest, Tiffany was number one. But by the end, Tiffany would be number 17. Uh, troopers discovered that there was the body of a female, a white female, in the back of the pickup. I was, I was under arrest. I don't know. I knew that was it. You do it, Joel. What do you have to say? What do you have to say, Joel? One of the earlier homicides or nights or events might have been euphoric, and then I was chasing it after that. The thing is, you never get that original rush. That's the whole point of why you keep chasing it. You know, and he later said that his arrest was the result of a 25-cent mistake, which is that missing license plate. The media descended upon what would be the most prolific serial killer case in New York State since Arthur Shawcross. And it was in the midst of this media coverage that our first-degree Paul realized the significance of the encounter he had had just months earlier. And this really is a fascinating story that demonstrates how connected we truly are and how connected even just by one degree of separation, strangers who Rifkin to yeah. a victim would also be connected. And this is so, whether we like it or not. As the, the type of job we have working for the power company, you encounter everything. There was something in the news the other day, and I, I saw the police car blocking the road, and, and I looked down the street and I saw a, an emergency services truck parked in front of the house. When you know, News 12, a woman strangled her mother to death right in Brentwood, down the road from where I work. With this job, I even I said to my daughter, I said, we see everything. I've walked on Jerry Seinfeld's property. I've seen some of the most beautiful homes on Long Island. And I've seen the worst in Joel Rifkin. 
The Rifkin house was on Paul's route when he was a meter reader back in the early 90s. And he had frequent encounters with the members of the household. I would have to say it was 1991 or 92. I was about 29, 29 years old when I started. Well, as a meter reader, um, you get a route and you go from house to house um, in in people's yards and you get to know people and meet people. Um, uh, Joe Ripskin's uh, mom, she used to come out once in a while, say hello. She was a nice lady, very uh, nice neighbor, nice neighborhood, middle class, typical middle, middle class neighborhood, East Meadow. And um, on this one given day, I remember having that particular route and um, Joel was a landscaper by trade. And um, he happened to be outside that day raking. Um, very strange looking character. Uh, I remember distinctly walking past, he had a big uh, trailer, landscaping trailer. And I remember walking by it and the odor coming from it, um, it was an instant gag reflex. You know, I've been in butcher shops um, and stuff like that where they have, which smells really bad too. Believe me, this was something of a different nature. Um, my eyes were tearing and um, I didn't think anything of it, but um, you remember things like that distinctly. I've never seen or encountered a rotting body, but I know I had to smell it, that's for sure. So during this encounter, Paul came face to face with Joel Rifkin himself. Very awkward looking, you know, glasses. But um, I remember his stare. He stared at me when I was walking by because when I, I, I'm telling you that day he was out and I walked past that um, landscape trailer, I was like, oh my God. And I remember looking back and him staring and a strange interaction, but I just kept going. You know, you, you think, oh, what a weirdo, you know, strange glance back at him and, I, and he definitely, you know, we, she was a strange-looking character. So we asked Paul about when this encounter, which was seemingly inconsequential, turned into something extremely significant and how this was all coming together for him and the dots were being connected. When he was arrested and they said that they found um, body parts in his landscaping trailer. And I said, no way. That's when, that is, that is the time I put it all together because you don't tear up and have a gag reflex from grass or, you know, typical clippings. Yeah, it can smell, but not, not the way 
this smell. When that news report came out, that's when I put it together. Awful, awful. I, I just, it was, you know, I've told this story to other people and, and you know, recently someone said to me, hey, it's too bad they knew I was going to do this little um, interview here. And they said, it's too bad you didn't call the cops. And I said, yeah, you know, I said, come to think of it, being that it was such an odd smell, um, you know, maybe it could have prevented things, but, you know, obviously hindsight and I, I didn't know what that smell was. Putting it together, um, yeah, it all makes sense. After the arrest of Rifkin, the police went to the home he shared with his mother. When the police arrived, they told her that her son had been, quote, involved in a traffic violation, but that he was okay. Now, the only thing stranger that I can think of, beyond maybe being somebody who is reading the meter at the Rifkin house and smelt one of his victims decomposing in the summer heat, would be also if you were that same meter reader who randomly ended up also working at one of the homes of the victims of the same serial killer. And that is what happened here. And there is some irony to this whole story too. And as I, as I said, as a meter reader, you go to a lot of people's homes. And one of the unfortunate things is when I transferred to Suffolk County, I happened to read the home of one of his victims and that really struck a nerve you know it really hit I just you know strange feeling when I transferred to Suffolk County you know you become friends with co-workers and everything and you know we talked about the risk the Rifkin case came up in the office because you know I talked about it because I read his home you know I saw him, I saw what he looked like up close, and, you know, you, it's, it's strange because one of the, um, one of my coworkers was friends with one of the victims, and he sa had said where she lived, I believe it, it was the M section of Stony Brook, not too far from where you grew up. Oh, yeah, he was upset. She, he was like, she was such a nice girl. Uh, it's just unbelievable. In part two of our Joel Rifkin episode, we are going to unpack what you just heard. And we are going to talk about the victim in Stony Brook, the one Paul ended up at the home of. And there is a lot more to come. And this just gets stranger and more bizarre by the minute. So let this episode be a constant reminder to all of you that we are all more connected than we realize, even if it's merely via our utility companies. And not only that, there are a ton of first degree connections that we want to deal with. There is a lot of pop culture references to this case. There's also a lot of things that myself and Alexis, who both grew up and lived on Long Island, which is where Rifkin 
the most prolific serial killer in New York State history is from, had to deal with. So there's a lot more coming in part two. What have we learned today? What did we learn today? I think that we learned that. I mean, I think my biggest and most basic takeaway from today's episode is that just because you're bullied doesn't mean you need to become a fucking monster and doesn't justify your terrible actions. Yes. I've been bullied before. <laughs> I mean, baseball camp? Seriously. Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell you how bad baseball camp was. I could totally see no, that's a, that's a whole other book. Just the tallest oh guy there gosh. being battered by like a group of little like, kids. No, go tallest guy with, with, with glasses. Oh, and, oh God. God. You're uh, like virgin. I, I think uh, I learned. <laughs> and I'm a virgin. I'm 13. <laughs> I, think, I hope you're a virgin. No, I think I learned something. <laughs> I think what's interesting in that we, it cannot go ignored. And it, I feel like in some serial, serial killer cases, they really punctuate this sort of thing. But it hasn't been as much so as in the Rifkin case. But he was adopted. Mm-hmm. And they talk about Bundy all the time where this his mother was told he was well, told Bundy's, his mother was his aunt. Yeah. And whatever. And but I think I think the adoption is really big here because even the fact that he there was also something I read that said he was told that he was adopted at eleven. I mean, Berkowitz is adopted too, so... But there's also a billion people that are... Not a billion, but there are millions of people that are adopted that also did not turn into monsters. I'm just saying, people don't talk about it with Rifkin because there is something to it. I mean, I just saw in interviews later that they were like, he he started to do a lot of research, frontal lobe research, things about his brain, had brain scans done. It became like something he was fascinated by. But I can see that only... But the thing is, his adopted parents seemingly were very loving parents and he had a a pretty good childhood minus when the bullying started so unless he's trying it was one of those things that he's like he's like oh i just can't be the man that my dad always wanted me to be because i'm not genetically you know whatever yeah if that's the thing then maybe but i don't know seems like a cop-out to be like always adopted Okay, so part two of Joel Rifkin is coming next week. But until then, we're still looking for a name for our listeners. And we made a little post about it in our Facebook group, which, by the way, if you guys aren't a part of, go join it. Search the First Grand Facebook. There's lots of true crime chatter happening in there. But Billy is not on board for the owls for our OG (laughs) superfans. But I think, because he says it's too much of a deep cut, but isn't that the reason why you have superfans? Because they love the deep cuts? I still have a couple more names that I want to throw out then, on the right. podcast. Oh. What are they? Amber said that we should be called the Van Gen Setters. <laughs> that was my favorite. Van Gen Setters. Okay. It's never going to happen, but it was good. And Van then, Gen Setters and is then great. April said that we should be called the Hot Links. Hot for degrees and looks and links for connections. Mm. Plus, Hot Links are delicious. And I responded and I said, I think. I think that's a great. I think hot links are good. I think that we're close. I think we're like sussing it out. I saw something about the alibis. Alibis are good too. But it has nothing like, you know, you usually, you usually want something to like the hot be links. connected hot to links the actual cute. name hot of the podcast. Hot links is cute. Hot but links the, is yeah, cute. Yeah, the degreeers I thought I saw. I saw mm. The degreeers is kind of cool. Hot links. 
hot links. We're going to mm. think about that one. Just it's like a cute little hot dog emoji. Like, think about that. It is pretty cute. <sighs> All right. Well, until next week, if you guys are connected to a murder or other stranger than fiction crime, please write us. Hello at the first degree podcast.com at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Please follow us on Instagram. We just hit 10,100 followers at the first degree. And uh, until next week, only you can prevent serial killers. No, no, no. No. Keep your friends close with but only you can prevent serial killers. No. It's a Ripken episode. <laughs> so until next week. Only you can prevent serial killers. And remember to keep your friends close, but not that close. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.